So, folks, um, we're, we're not in a series, but we are on a theme. <laughs> and the theme is, in a sense, just uh, working through the pastoral implications of, of, of a time like this. And, uh, and so we continue. And this morning, I want us to go to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. It's, uh, it's a, quite a staggering chapter. It's, it's full of uh, politically loaded stuff. Jesus is, the, the, the chapter begins, Jesus' brother comes, and they kind of start giving him some PR advice. And they say to him, listen, you, you clearly haven't got this marketing thing right. If you're going to do this thing, you need to go where it's all happening. And right now it's all happening in Jerusalem. So you've got to leave where you are. You've got to go to Jerusalem and you've got to make a splash. You've got to make it big. You've got to take it out there. And he says, you guys just don't understand how to discern timing. Uh, for you, any time is okay. But uh, my time is not now. And so they go off, and then Jesus sneakily, because uh, they were watching Jesus and his family. So his family show up, and they go, where's Jesus? There's no Jesus. Um, but Jesus arrives, and for half the, the festival, uh, he's nowhere to be seen. And then halfway through, just as people are really warming up, Jesus stands up, and he begins to teach in the temple. And there's... Um, and, and he's aware, even now, and this is more than a year before he would die, he, he starts telling people, listen, there's a plot. People want to take me down. People are going, you're nuts. Um, no one's trying to kill you. And then a little bit later, someone else says uh, in, the, in the story, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Uh, <laughs> so there's all this fake news. There's all this politics. There's all this stuff going on. But the festival continues. And then we read on the last and greatest day of the feast. On the last and greatest day of the festival, verse 37, Jesus stood up and he said in a loud voice. Now, normally teachers used to sit and teach. Um, so taking a stand, Jesus wants to broadcast. He wants to use the full acoustics. And he literally cries out over the temple precinct and over this festival. Let anyone who is thirsty... Come to me and drink. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me. It's quite a radical statement for a man to make. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, now you've got to start thinking, which scripture said this? Rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then the Apostle John writing with the hindsight of Pentecost in verse 39 says, By this Jesus meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Notice, Israel had been longing for someone to come. 
literally, as it were, the fulfillment of Moses, as it were, Moses was the beginning. They were, he was, as it were, Alpha, as it were. They were looking for an Omega prophet. They were looking for someone to come and wrap it up. And the expectation was that Israel would, uh, would flourish. Others said, he is the Messiah. Now, you know, you could just see how much confusion is going on. Messiah meaning the anointed one, the king. So there's a sense that he is prophet. The, the other is sensing that he's got a kingdom because the anointed ones, I mean, some of the prophets were anointed, but overwhelmingly it was anointed to rule, to govern. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? We looked at this uh, several weeks ago. Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? They hadn't done their, uh, their background checks. <laughs> and thus the people were divided because of Jesus, and some wanted to seize him, and no one laid a hand on him. It was not yet his time. So this great feast that they were talking about was the festival of tabernacles it was a spectacular celebration for the jewish people it was centered on jerusalem on the temple and the altar and the festival commemorated their journey out of egypt the exodus and the time that they spent in the wilderness and and the water the miraculous provision of water that came in the wilderness when Moses struck a rock and then the second time he was supposed to speak to a rock in any case he disobeyed and smacked the rock twice um, but what people did is they would make booths they would they they didn't have um, Cape Union marts so they couldn't go and buy tents and just you know pop it up or you know press a button or whatever so they would go and they would chop down uh, some of the saplings that they could bend and they would make these booths and then they would cover it and and they would literally camp on the streets and on the roofs and everywhere and people would come and it was this huge party time in Jerusalem and it reminded them, you know, this camping time. I'm just wondering if there are any uh, people yeah, thinking it's time for Explore to, you know, do a tabernacles at some point. Um, and, and, and then what they would do is they would remember, recall the actual details of this water release as it came from the rock. And so a priest would lead a procession from the pool of Siloam. And he'd go down to the pool and people would be singing and then he'd dip a golden jug into the water from that pool. And then they would make their way singing and dancing and return to the temple. And they had songs written, for example, based on Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 3. With joy, which the, the, the verse itself is, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And so they'd be singing, thinking of God's salvation. But of course, salvation for them was a very political thing. So this wasn't just a religious festival. This was a very kind of, you can, you can see the nationalism that, that's loaded in this space. And of course, that's why some of these questions around the identity of Jesus were so loaded. And then once they got back to the temple, they'd go to the altar and there was a funnel next to the altar. And the priest would pour the water into this bowl funnel that's next to the altar. And they would run down under the altar and out the other side. And this was, as it were, a picture of the fulfillment in the minds of the Jews of Scripture. 
Remember Jesus said, if you believe in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from your innermost being, as it were, from under the altar of your life. And so he has this picture. And, and, and where is the scripture? Well, the picture is in Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel reads, uh, has a vision and he says, The man brought me to the entrance of the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east because the temple faced east, same as the Garden of Eden faced east. Almost all the dwelling places of, of uh, Israel had this eastern orientation. And the water was coming from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. And he brought me through the north gate, led me round to the outer side facing east. And there he saw coming from right at the altar, the temple, whatever, going out of the city was this flow of water. But initially it just looked like a trickle. He could hardly see it. He's thinking like, so is this going to make a big difference? And so he gets given a measuring rod, and to simplify, he walks in and he and he goes in a little bit, and after a distance, it's like at his ankles, and he goes in a little bit more, and then it's at his knees, and then he goes in a bit more, and he keeps measuring out, and what seemed like a trickle just keeps growing and growing and growing until eventually it's a river strong enough to carry you. You're you're in a sense you're thinking you're in charge, and then eventually you're in this great flow. And then we read what happens uh, where this, the, this river flows. Um, I'm going to just jump through and get to verse 12, for example. Uh, the fruit of the trees of all kinds will grow on banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither. Their fruit will not fail. Every month they will bear fruit. Now we're still like, going, whoa, this is, now, remember, it's a dream. It's not, you know, it's like a vision. There's always going to be enough. There's always going to be provision. Because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. What looked like a tiny little trickle in your life is flowing out from that sacred place. And their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. So this was the picture that they would have as the scriptures have said. And so they would go get the water from the pool of Siloam, pour it down the thing, and that would be their expectation as it were. They're looking for the day of God's provision. They're looking for the day of healing to come. And so the prophecy was essentially this, that from under the altar, the place where you meet with God, the place where God forgives your sin, the place where fellowship is restored, the place of sacrifice, the place of prayer, flows a river of life and of ministry that brings healing, nourishment, transformation. I mean, the whole landscape gets changed by this mighty river that flows. And there's this extraordinary, extraordinary fruitfulness. So Jesus stands up in this context and he says, If anyone is thirsty, come to me. Jesus is seeing himself as the fulfillment of the temple. He's seeing himself as the fulfillment of the altar. He's seeing himself as the ultimate sacrifice, even in these words. He says, if you will come, streams of living water will flow from you. You see, the, the Jewish people were expecting fulfillment in a place, Jerusalem. In one sense, they were correct. 
But in another sense, they completely missed it because the supreme fulfillment was not a place but a person in that place, and that was Jesus. And they were expecting fulfillment in the, the physical realm, that their kingdom would be restored. And in one sense, they were correct. But until the spiritual had been put in place, nothing could change the physical. And they were expecting this somehow from this prophetic water. And, and, and Jesus says, no, it's from my spirit. The spirit I will give you. So I want to look at this promise very quickly. The first thing, and, and there's a number of words here, and I'm going to kind of pick them out. The first is this word of incredible grace. In spite of the clear teaching of the Old Testament, the Jews had come to believe that God's promises were for a few. And the few was us. And in spite of the fact that God wanted them to be a blessing to all the nations and, and to open up, it had, it had become sort of like this neo-tribalism. And so in their minds, it was tempted to say, not them, us. We've got the group of people who are going to be okay, not them, us. Maybe today we often encounter a different problem. Often when I'm trying to pass to people, <laughs> when you start offering the promises of Jesus, I find today people are going, uh, not, a, not me, maybe someone else. <laughs> uh, and that couldn't be true for me. After all I've done, no, can't be true for me. After the mistakes I've made, after the things I've suffered, now, this is, this is clearly for someone else. These kind of promises are not going to be fulfilled for me. Whichever way you've got to hear, whether you're thinking it's you and not someone else, or you're thinking it's someone else and not you, Jesus says, anyone. It's, I mean, it's like, whoever. That's the, the, the force of it. Anyone. And if you think of that, that is incredible grace doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter what you've done doesn't matter what you're going through Jesus is inviting you to come to him let him come to me come to me but there is this need to acknowledge something you see there's this word not of just of grace but of desire Whoever is thirsty, like you realize you want this, you realize you need this, you need life, you need healing, you need nourishment. Maybe you need change. You know, one of the things that's unsettling us at the moment is that we've, got, we've been subconsciously inf infected by the legacy of what we call the Enlightenment, which is this evolutionary view that the world's just going to get better and better and better. And some of us have even tied that into the kingdom of God. And, you know, we're just going to keep seeing improvement. And that as long as we can educate people and as long as we can enlighten people, well, the world's history is going to go up. And then we have a world war, whether it's the First World War or the Second World War, or whether we have the, the, you know, the traumatic evil that we're seeing being perpetrated on people even in our day. People are completely bewildered because we don't have an understanding of a very 
politically incorrect word. Sin. And somehow we're thinking to ourselves, I just don't get it. Did, did their teachers not tell them? Does nobody know that the world is supposed to be getting nicer and nicer and better and better? And then when in our enlightened state, funny that we should call it that, we are confronted by not just mistakes, but willful evil being perpetrated on innocence. Or willful evil being perpetrated against those who are so self-evidently good. We're going, I don't understand. Because we don't accept that there is something that is inside all of us, not just them. And it's called sin. And unless you bring your life to the one who offered himself on the altar of the true temple of God and made atonement for that sin, you're going to keep thinking that your life needs a little bit of self-improvement. A little more enlightenment and maybe a lot more effort. And you're not thinking that you need grace. You're thinking you need to step up a little bit more. And maybe even coming to church is an endeavor to make yourself that little bit more acceptable to God. But when you're honest, there's this thirst. There's this need. There's this thing that goes so much deeper than your efforts to try and improve yourself. And so comes a word of invitation. Let them come to me, says Jesus. Come to me. And there's the grace, but there's also the responsibility. And scripture holds these two. God is, you are absolutely dependent upon God's grace. <laughs> Without his grace, you've got no hope. And yet you are completely responsible. And you certainly couldn't blame him should you choose to walk away from the hope that he offers you. We will never earn this invitation, but Jesus says to you this morning, come to me, come to me. And notice it's a, a very focused word, number four, a word of focus, word of invitation, a word of focus. Come to me says Jesus, this morning, right now in this season, Jesus is ready to receive you. He's ready to give you the very essence of what made him who he was in his human condition, namely the gift of God's Holy Spirit. You see, John the Baptist prophesies, shows us that it's Jesus who immerses us, initiates us, baptizes us into this life in the Spirit. But you don't get the Spirit by running after the Spirit. You get the Spirit by coming to Jesus and drinking there. You come to him at that place where he offered himself. But Jesus then says, come to me and drink.
if you're thirsty, in your innermost being, come to me, drink of me, take me in. And then he gives us a word of explanation. How do you drink of Jesus? He says, whoever believes in me. You drink of Jesus by putting your faith and your hope and your trust in him. That's how you do it. Now that's going to lead you to his words. That's going to lead you into his presence. That's going to lead you into places and times of worship and prayer. But most fundamentally, his word will only come alive when you believe in me. The worship will only come alive when it is fed and nurtured by faith. The prayer will only really live and shape you when you believe in me. So believing isn't a replacement for his word. I mean, you obviously not. It's not a replacement for that prayer, for that intimacy, for worship, for resting in his presence, for crying out to him. But those things can never replace the simple heart trust that Jesus is asking of us this morning. Whoever believes in me. In John chapter 8, the next chapter, Jesus teaches about this kind of faith that really changes us. And he says, if you hold to my teaching, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, this hold is not static. You know, I mean, in some ways you may, you may think of it like you're holding the fort and you're not letting the enemy move you from your foundation. And that is true. But, but the, the sense of this word hold is also a moving. So you, you're not being deflected from your course. So if you can hold your course, so maybe a commander tells a a, a platoon of his soldiers, I need you to make your way to that hill and take it and stand against it. The very journey that they're going on is into enemy territory. And if they will hold their course and not give up on that mountain, that's the sense. it's, It's not just static. It's actually you moving in a direction and you refusing to be deflected from your ultimate objective. Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, whoever believes in me, if you hold to my teaching, you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. And then there's this promise of the most extraordinary, extraordinary reality. Rivers of living Water will flow from the real you. You know, I'm not getting any younger. And and I keep finding out more about the real me. (laughs) As time goes on, it's very humbling. My kids seem to know more about the real me than I do. But nevertheless, um, the the point of it is, is the, the real you, the deep you, the true you. can literally come alive with the Spirit of Jesus. And every single day we give ourselves to holding to his word and holding to his truth and believing in him, the more we open our lives 
to being from our innermost being. You see, not only is there an altar in the presence of God in the the temple in Jerusalem, and not only is Jesus, in a sense, going to Jerusalem to die on that cross, uh, a, a, a fulfillment of that altar. But in Romans chapter 12, we discover that we're an altar too. And we offer ourselves to God. We offer our bodies, we offer our minds, we offer our emotions. And the promise of Jesus is that you'll offer your body to become his temple. He will fill you. If you offer your mind to to let him shape your thoughts, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, mind has not conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. If you offer your heart to him, Romans 5 says that God will begin to pour his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit whom he has given you. And your spirit comes alive to that which makes Jesus real. I don't know about you, but when I look at a world in distress, when I look at a world in pain, when I look at a world being subjected to evil, my heart and my spirit cry out for the living God. And I say with the psalmist, when can I go and meet with God? And Jesus says, right now. Right now. Come to me. Come to me and drink. And as I was preparing, I was was really struck that there there may be someone here this morning. And you've just never really thought about the offer of Jesus to die in your place and offer you life to the real you, the true you, in spite of what you've done. And the challenge today is is not just to look at a little bit of improvement, but to acknowledge deeply and honestly, without blaming someone in Afghanistan or Nigeria or Lebanon or wherever it is, or even around the corner, but to recognize what God warned Cain. Evil sin is waiting at your door and it wants to master you. I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce his name, but Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a uh, was a political prisoner under Stalin. And as he was in that, uh, in Siberia, undergoing great hardship, he realized that there wasn't such a difference between those who were oppressing him and what was going on inside his own heart. And he came to understand, he says, and he writes in his, in his autobiography, that lying on that cold, frozen straw, because that's all they were given, naked and shivering, I came to discover that evil does not pass between us and them. Evil does not, the line of evil does not pass between nations. The line of evil does not pass between genders. The line of evil does not pass between races or colors. The, the line of evil passes through every human heart. 
And until we recognize that there is that in us too that needs forgiveness. We will think that it's always somebody else who needs this promise from Jesus. Today you need to hear of the grace of God that invites you to put your trust not in your goodness, but in him for the forgiveness of your sins. But if you will do that, if you will believe in him, Jesus says, not only will I forgive your sin, but I'm going to put of myself in you. My spirit will come to live in you. And that which is not evil, that which is unbelievably good, will fill you and overflow from you. And that is his invitation. So the question to us is, Will we accept, for some of us again today, this reminder, this refreshing, to come to Jesus and let the living good stuff flow again? Because the enemy keeps trying to come in. And this is the second application. The enemy keeps coming and trying to get us to live in a different spirit. Trying to get us to live in fear. Trying to get us to live in shame or blame. Trying to undermine that which believes in Jesus, our faith. And today for us is to say, no, I believe in Jesus. And therefore, Jesus, I welcome your spirit on the altar of my life to literally flow. Become a place of healing for the nations. Become a place of fruitfulness for the hungry. Become a place of provision in the kingdom of God. Lord, here is my life. I drink of Jesus again this morning. I drink of Jesus again this morning. And I hold to him. Let's pray together. Just waiting on the Lord. Father, lead us in how we respond this morning. I'm just going to pray a prayer that if, if you have not reached the place of knowing that you've clearly put your faith in Jesus, you have not seen before that literally you need to ask God to forgive you of your sins and trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross then today is an opportunity for you to do that. And you can just pray in your heart, Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he's the prophet, but he's more. Thank you that he's Messiah, but he's more. He, I believe today that he is who he said he was, that we will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds in glory. You are truly the son of the living God. Thank you for dying for my sin. And today I stop trusting in myself and I start trusting in you. I stop trusting in the belief that I can fix myself. And I start trusting in the forgiveness that is mine because you went to the cross in my place. So I ask you, please, will you fulfill your promise to me 
and give me a new heart. Give me a new spirit. Take out this heart of stone. Give me a heart of flesh and put your spirit in me and move me, move me, move me to follow your decrees because I have become new today in the name of Jesus. And if you've prayed that prayer, I'd love to chat with you. There may be others that you also know yeah, that you can talk about, uh, talk to about what you've done. Uh, that would be amazing. Don't just keep it private. I, I really want to urge you not to do that. And then for us, Lord, we, we all want to ask for a fresh flow of your spirit. Maybe just stand with me. Lord, we ask for a fresh flow. You said rivers of living water. You said that that which was in Jesus, he who was in Jesus can be in us. And we say flow, come flow, Holy Spirit of Jesus. We put our hope in you, Jesus. We put our trust in you. Jesus, we believe in you. And in that believing, we drink of you again today. And so we receive a fresh and a new, fresh healing to flow through our lives, fresh hope to come, fresh perseverance and courage, fresh faith to stand when others tremble. Fresh peace to speak to the storms of life. And fresh joy that is not dependent on our circumstances. But because we know that we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. I could just see some of you receiving right now. So you just receive. You receive whatever it was that God started ministering to you, whether it's peace, whether it's endurance, whether it's hope, whether it's faith. Just receive and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I receive now. And Lord, I don't want it to stop with me. I want it to flow. I want this to be a river of living water. Let it come out of the altar. Let it come into the world. Let it change the, the, the realities around us. Lord, may others experience your healing. May others experience your hope. Come flow through us, Lord, we pray. Come flow through us, Lord, we pray. Just receive, just receive. So I bless, I bless, I bless what you're doing, Holy Spirit. We honor your presence. We want our lives to stay wide open to you. Healing flow. Fruitfulness flow. Life flow. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.